Hello, and welcome to You Heard It Here First, the show that helps you discover the best that Audible has to offer. I'm your host, Imriel Morgan, and I'm here with even more great audio recommendations for you to check out on the Audible website or app. On today's show, I'll be doing my best to avoid screaming hashtag relationship goals while I review Idris and Sabrina Elba's new Audible original podcast before I switch off my logical brain to get into some poetic fiction. Then, later in the show, I'll be joined by two guests to talk about their recommendations, including the multi-talented Felix Markark, author of The New Nomad. And we hear from you in our latest listeners corner too. Wow, there's loads to talk about, so let's get going. First up today, we've got some customer reviews from the Audible website. Here are two customers' thoughts on the Thursday Murder Club by Richard Osman. The first one comes from Benka, who left this five-star review on Audible's website. Absolutely brilliant. This book had me laughing one minute and crying the next. I thoroughly enjoyed the relationships between the excellently drawn characters and cannot wait until the next book in the series comes out so I can join them on another adventure. I greatly appreciated the lack of unnecessary swear words and hope it continues. It proves that it's still possible to write a fantastic modern crime story without every other word beginning with an F. Add to all of this the perfect choice of narrator and I could do no less than give a full five marks. Okay, this has intrigued me. Now let's hear this four-star review from Jay. Slow burn. I wasn't sure for the first few chapters, but I stuck with it and the story developed really nicely. Okay, the strokes are a bit broad. Ian Ventham is really two-dimensional. But the nuanced plot snakes around to great effect, keeping you guessing till the end. A huge thank you to Binka and Jay. You've definitely convinced me to try it. If a contemporary crime thriller is what you're after, then you can find The Thursday Murder Club by Richard Osman on Audible. Each week, we'll be picking out different reviews from Audible's website to see what you've been loving. So keep listening and you might find your own review here. Next up, it's time to hear about a brand new bit of audio that is gaining a lot of attention. This week, I've chosen the Audible original podcast, Coupledom, with Idris and Sabrina Elba. Coupledom is a six-part podcast series that sees the Elbers talking to couples in all their guises, which means not only will you hear from traditional couples, but also business partners and families. I was excited when I saw this launch on Audible. Not because I'm an Idris Elba fan. I mean, I am, but that's not the point. The real reason I was excited was because it's really rare to see black love and black couples represented in the media. And now here this is, and it's a podcast, and it's on Audible. I was ready to drop my credit like a hot potato. All that's to say, coupledom is not what I expected. I definitely thought we'd hear from couples, you know, the romantic kind, but that's not what this is. Because it's an all-encompassing use of the term couple, the guest list includes Ben and Jerry, as in the ice cream brand, and Kris Jenner and Kim Kardashian West. And I could not wait to dive in. The Elbers open the podcast earnestly by sharing that they are happily married, but that they still have lots to learn, especially now that they're business partners with their new company, Sable Labs, which is the Elbers backwards, if you didn't know. The two are charming, warm, and incredibly genuine. They actually reminded me a little of Harry and Meghan, but that could be because their accents match the Sussexes. 
Even though the show is hosted by and features celebrities, including the iconic Kardashian-Jenners, it is still really relatable. Idris and Sabrina have a remarkable ability to draw out vulnerable and touching stories from their guests. For example, in the first episode, we hear from Nadia Hussein, winner of the Great British Bake Off, and her husband, Abdul. They share their experience of having an arranged marriage, Nadia's mental health, and how baking became her way of feeling joy and expressing emotions. Have a listen. There was one time we were driving to uh, Luton and um, she, she started breathing really heavily and she was having a panic attack. And it, it confused me because I was like, why are you having a panic attack now? Because obviously I don't understand this kind of thing very well. And it was an exciting moment for us. We're going to see your family. What's uh, what's the problem? Yeah. So, yeah, I think a lot of, um, you know, we'd spoken about loads of things, but I hadn't really addressed the fact that I had PTSD from mm. it, being bullied as a child so badly. So I hadn't spoken about all of those things. But I think what we experienced as a young married couple was the natural course of any mm. couple, whether you're married or not. But ultimately, I made a promise to myself that we were going to be together forever. That moment I could share my vulnerabilities with him. It was a moment in our relationship where I think we, we just... Fully, we fully just opened up, it. isn't it? I think it was fully, yeah. yeah. See what I mean? It's impossible not to get hooked in. On top of that, each episode is filled with great advice from the couples. Like, marriage isn't always 50-50 on both sides. It can be 70-30 depending on what the other is doing. And that is healthy and okay at times. Or why you'll have to adapt and change your communication style when you go into business with your spouse. Now, I must admit that not every episode is mega engaging. I did find myself drifting during the Louboutin episode and surprisingly in bits of the Kardashian episode too. But there are some outstanding conversations with couples I didn't immediately recognise, like Tommy and Cody Oliver, the creators of the Black Love series, and also when we hear from Mary and Sharon Baldwin-Bishop, a lesbian couple that had a 10-year-long court battle with the state of Oklahoma to obtain the rights to get married. They are actual heroes and their story is both heartbreaking and triumphant. The Elbers really pack so much into the show. I loved hearing Idris chat to his best friend and Sabrina's catch up with her mum. And they're fun to listen to. Each episode is beautifully sound designed. We hear archival footage, soundscapes and news clips of the guests. My absolute favourite bit, though, was Idris's theme tune for the Who Does What segment, which I must confess I first heard at 1.7 speed, and I thought it was an absolute banger. I've sped it up here so you can see for yourself. Who does what? 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 is a chilled out listen, and I'm certain you will enjoy this podcast in the background while in the car or just out and about running errands. There's no pressure to listen to them in order either, which is great too. So that's Coupledom. You can find all six episodes on the Audible app today. Welcome to our hidden gem section of the show. This is where I talk about something great I think you might have missed when scrolling through Audible. And this week's find is Little Scratch by Rebecca Watson. So if you've listened to any previous episodes, chiefly a poem a day in series one, you'll know I personally struggle with poetry. In fact, when I usually think of poetry, my mind goes straight to Dr. Seuss and Deaf Poetry Jam, which is a little embarrassing to admit. Needless to say, I was sweating a bit over this choice, but this is different. It's a fiction book written a little bit like poetry, and it turned out to be a beautifully contemporary lesson which captivated me from the start. 
Little Scratch follows an anonymous woman's thought processes as she goes through her day. Now, I want to be clear when I say we're following her thoughts. It is essentially her stream of consciousness, including memories, modern day distractions and the attacks on the senses we can face in everyday life. Like hearing a siren when you're severely hungover. We go through her daily routine and follow every minute activity as each thought that runs through her brain is acknowledged. For example, her thinking about going to the toilet, to what soup will be served today and really hoping it's not sweet corn. Let's have a listen. And the rain is calming, more like spitting, although always a weird way of describing rain. But yes, walking, 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 raining, walking, walking, raining, walking, meat and chips, three pounds, checking phone, 8.20, got time. Walking, 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 a man is slowing, 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 walking, he's not walking, he's driving, driving, walking, raining, walking in his car, driving, walking, is he going, walking, driving, slowing, driving, walking, to say, walking, driving, slowing, driving, something, walking, slowing, windows rolling, nearing station, down, preparing myself to him, all right, my middle finger raising. The piece is very fast-paced for poetry. The author Watson describes the character's movements in excruciating detail, and sometimes it can feel like information overload, but it did give the poem a certain beat and kept the energy high. Thoughts by their nature can be repetitive, half-finished and persistent. But Watson cleverly plays with your attention like that of her lead. So I think you'd be forgiven if your mind wanders like hers does while listening. Something you should be aware of is that this book very slowly reveals what life is like when you're dealing with trauma. Scratching is a recurring theme in the book and you can't help feeling uneasy and unsettled by it when it occurs. It did make me wonder if this may have been intentional. We learn that the main character is also a writer and is experiencing writer's block, which is rooted in something far more sinister. I won't say much more than that, but I should warn you that there are themes of sexual violence included, which might be triggering for some people listening. The author, Rebecca Watson, has shared her personal mantra for writing. She says, let's effing go. Let's do this. Just write anything down. Get moving. Personally, I'm always tickled by a superfluous F-bomb. Watson, the author, is also the narrator of the audiobook and she delivers the whole thing perfectly. She comes across quite witty and dry, which I loved and really captured the woman's neurotic tendencies. It's like you could hear the cogs turning as another thought popped into her brain. This experimental take on poetry is exciting and fresh. It could easily be described as a piece of modern art that you hear at the Tate. It works really well in audio as Watson delivers it exactly how it should be read. I know for a fact I would have struggled to read this as a physical book. At just three and a half hours long, this is a great pick if you're after a palate cleanser and want to try something new. I personally listened to it while completing my puzzle and it complemented my meditative state really well. Substitute puzzles for sewing, drawing or painting and you've got an occasion. So that's Little Scratch by Rebecca Watson. You can find it on Audible now. Are you ready for even more recommendations? Joining me in the studio is an editor from Audible and a very special guest who can't wait to tell you about the books that they've been enjoying recently. And this week, we're starting off with Audible editor Bryony Cullen. Hey, Bryony. Oh, thank you so much for having me back. I'm really excited to talk to you today. Before we do, can you briefly remind us what you do at Audible? Yeah, of course. So I'm part of the content marketing team at Audible. So promoting all of our amazing original content. 
Amazing. That sounds fun. Kind of like what we do here. What have you chosen for us today? Who's it by and what's it about? So I have chosen Hamnet by Maggie O'Farrell. And I chose this book because it had been recommended to me by a couple of people that I kind of really trust their judgment. The story is all about Shakespeare's family, but it's told in a really interesting way and that it's told from his perspective, but mostly from the perspective of other members of his family. So Mm -hmm. his wife and his children, who are people that haven't really been covered much in the history books. So it's a really interesting opportunity to hear what they might have thought of, of various situations. And what I loved is the fact that Shakespeare himself isn't actually named throughout the whole story. He's just referred to as her husband or his father or the writer. So even though it's about his family, it's very much focused on the other kind of players in the story. So I'm guessing you knew it was going to be about Shakespeare beforehand. But if you're going in completely not knowing anything, would that be obvious, do you think, to the average listener? So I did know that it was about Shakespeare And I'm not a huge Shakespeare fan myself, but I think it would take you a little while to work out that it's about him. The story's based in Stratford-upon-Avon. There's little clues to the fact that it's about him and his family. But I think if you went in blind, it would take you probably quite far into the story before it clicked as to who exactly it it was talking about. Yeah, fair enough. I definitely can see a few people going in and being like, wait, what's this about? Without reading the blurb. It is really interesting once you know like how the different players come about. So his mum and what she's like and her personality and his relationship or lack of relationship with his kids. It's all very interesting mm-hmm. to learn a little bit about what's gone on behind the scenes. What did you love about it? So I think the writing was just really powerful. It took you back to that period of time so clearly a key theme in the the story is the plague and I think the the descriptions around that and how that kind of spread throughout Europe were just so eloquent and really took you back to that time and you could imagine just how it spread so quickly and and the really devastating effects that it had on on everyone but I think the other reason I, I loved it was giving voice to voices that you wouldn't have heard from before so from a female perspective but also you hear from Hamnet a lot who is Shakespeare's son so I love stories where you kind of hear from a child's perspective it gives a really interesting view on the world and and how he reacts to the kind of really sad circumstances that he faces and I think it gives a really unique point of view to the story by having those different voices that you hear from all of them and hear different kind of points in time but at no point does it feel confusing or you lose exactly where you are in the story Mm -hmm. all of the different narratives that interwoven together so nicely yeah I agree I was pleasantly surprised quite quickly you find yourself completely immersed in this world and there is something a bit magical and like whimsical about it as well especially in Agnes's point of view and her perspective of being like possibly like a clairvoyant type which I really really loved because I love some woo were there any standout moments in the book anything that just made you stop what you were doing you're like I have to focus on this moment yes so I think kind of referring back to what you mentioned about the slightly more magical elements and the fact that Agnes herself is very at one with nature she's almost kind of a a herbalist and that's something that Mm. runs through throughout the story. At the time when a a woman was pregnant, it was really common that women would go into confinement and it would be a very controlled birth. And there's a moment in the book where Agnes is ready to give birth to her first child and she takes it completely into her own hands, takes herself 
into the woods and births the child on her own to the horror of all of the other women because it's just gone completely against what was kind of wrote for the time. So that element of the story really stood out to me as kind of really powerful moment. Amazing. Let's hear a clip. Even though it is still early, she skirts the boundary fence of Hewlands. She doesn't want to risk meeting anyone along the way. If they saw her, they would raise the alarm. They would call someone, they would send for her husband, they would force her indoors into the farmhouse. It is the very last place she would want to be for this. She has to wait by a huge elm, pressing her palm to its rough ridged bark as the sensation begins in her lower back, deep between her legs and surges upwards, seizing her in its grip, shaking her with its force. She crouches, she pants through it, as she knows she must, holding tight to a tree root. Even in the throes of it, when it has her in its clutches, when it drives everything from her mind but the narrow focus of when it might end, she recognises that it is getting stronger. The theme of nature definitely kept running through. And I thought that moment was quite horrifying in how, you know, the women did really want to take control and keep her. And this woman's completely not in control of her own body and the people that are kind of holding her prisoner are other women. Did you like her or dislike her as a character? I liked her. I really felt for her throughout the story. I think that she probably wasn't the easiest person to live with. And I think she she dealt with some quite difficult situations, but it did feel like it was a love match between her and, and Shakespeare. And she kind of feels like she lost her husband to mm. his passions. So I did really feel for her in that regard. Finally, why should people pick this book? So I think for me, this book was a real piece of escapism. I was completely drawn into the world and found it really difficult to stop listening, actually. So I think if you're looking for something to kind of take you away from what you're doing and transport you to a different period of time um, and introduce you to a, a really interesting cast of characters, then I would definitely recommend. Amazing. Thank you so much, Bryony. And hoping to top that with their pick is special guest author Felix Markart. Hello, Felix. Really good to be with you, Anne-Marie. Can you briefly tell us who you are and what you do? So my name is Felix Marquardt. I'm the author of a new book called The New Nomads, which came out recently. My bio on Twitter these days is Recovering Global Schmoozer, which I think is quite accurate. That sounds absolutely brilliant. <laughs> Can you tell us what you've chosen for us today? Who's it by and what's it about? So the book I've chosen is called Smoke Hole by a fellow named Martin Shaw. He became the founder of the oral tradition and myth courses at Stanford University eventually. So he knows hundreds of stories and tales and myths. His books have this very specific structure where he starts by telling you a kind of fairy tale. And then in the second part of the book, he gives you the subtext to it. And in so doing, he allows you to grapple with elements of our present day reality in a way that's very hard to do if you didn't use the medium of that initial fairy tale. But it's also about understanding some of our present day predicaments. Was there a standout moment in the book that made you stop what you were doing and just take in everything he was saying? Yes, there was. It was the moment when he began to question what happens to us 
when we turn a tool into a god. Let's go to a clip. It was during this cocooning period that the relentless power of social media became more apparent than ever. If we're not terribly careful, it gobbles us up. It has the potential to change our tastes, make us anxious, needy, distracted, not present, and, worst of all, have little sense of truth or an integrity of spirit. With the advent of deep fakes and relentless conspiracy theories, we can end up with no sense of what to believe. When did a tool become a god? I think he does a really great job of that in the very beginning of the book of really outlining what society has done with technology and how we've really kind of reorientated our lives around this thing and how it's essentially come into kind of control and dominate our way of thinking and our way of being and our way of relating to each other. Did you find the book easy to understand as he weaves in these kinds of myths and legends? There was something very comforting and gentle about listening first to a fairy tale. I really enjoyed that. I found myself going back to childhood. So that actually I found incredibly refreshing and and soothing. And then the other part of the book, which is more or this constant to and fro between fairy tales, but also quite a bit of subtext in the very personal style that is Martin's. He, he writes very much the way he speaks. The fact that I had been brought in by the fairy tale made it very easy for me to grapple with quite deep mm. issues. Mm. I really struggled initially with the book just because I found it really hard to understand where he was trying to take us or where he was coming from. So I felt like there was a very strong point of view from the outset, which I appreciated, but I hadn't yet fully gone on that journey beforehand. And I think actually what was quite nice is that you get that story or that really kind of gentle introduction, as you say, that storytelling really kind of brings you in. You are very much brought into his world and his way of thinking. Your new book, The New Nomads, also looks at going in search of a better life through re-embracing nomadism. Can you tell us a little bit more about it? Sure. You know, it's it's hard to write a, a book these days or indeed anything about nomadism without falling mm. into cliche. It's become one of our favorite words and concepts. And what I wanted to write was a book about um, if I say the word migration, most people hear immigration. That's yeah. just the way it is. And I wanted to point to the fact that talking about migration without ever talking about emigration was a bit like talking about breathing without ever talking about expiration. Mm. The two things happen and the two things are really, really important but also not becoming arrogant or self-righteous descendants as we can be sometimes when we tend to think like, you know, everything that happened until now was the result of bigotry and, you know, very problematic behavior and leaving and then settling down allows us to be a bit more, a bit wiser, really. Yeah, I like that. That sounds great. And finally... John Densmore from The Doors said that once reading Smoke Hole, he ended up physically changing. Did this book change you at all? Yes, I, I, I can relate to that. Martin has a way of showing us that we are in the underworld. We just 
haven't really processed it. I mean, what we've come to call normal is a form of civilizational suicide. But what Martin does is that he says things how they are and points out the insanity mm. of our age. But he also gives you this hope that we need so much and that um, is the condition for us to think differently about what it is that we want, where it is that we want to go and how to go there. Thanks, Felix. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed uh, being with you today. Hamlet by Maggie O'Farrell and Smokehole by Martin Shaw were Bryony and Felix's picks this week. Don't forget you can find both on Audible's website. And make sure to check out Felix's new book, The New Nomads. Here on You Heard It Here First, we have made it our mission to show you the best on offer from Audible. And you are going to love this next section, as it's time to hear a clip from Audible Sessions. The Audible Sessions podcast is an amazing behind-the-scenes chat with some of your favourite authors. This week's featured clip comes from Jamie Windust. Jamie is an award-winning non-binary writer, public speaker and model. They talk to host Holly Newson about their new book, Family Acceptance and Fashion. Have a listen. Do you have any fashion icons or are you just inspired by, you know, what you see around you and pick mm. up things that suit you the best? I think a lot of people presume that I am inspired by a specific person. For me, kind of, instead of a person, it's more of a time. So like the 80s for me was really inspirational because it was a time where society was moving in, in a different way. But then I guess if you were to choose an icon, I often actually look to her Royal Highness, Princess Diana. I was supposed to be born the day she died. Really? So I like to think I am her reincarnation. I like of that. sorts. Were you born later or earlier? I was born far too early. I was born in April. She died in August. Okay. Does that mean, though, <laughs> if you're her reincarnation, that you were sort of already sucking the life out of her before she went? Well, yeah, I didn't want to say. But, um, <laughs> I know this was a conspiracy theories about it's the Queen, but it was actually me. It was you. Yeah. yeah. I really loved that section because it was a really funny moment that comes up quite early in the interview. And I think it's just quite remarkable that they feel like they are the reincarnation of Princess Diana when they were born five months before she died, which is just such a surreal thing to think. I really love that. And the interview just goes on to be even more incredible and really insightful. So I definitely recommend giving it a listen. If you want even more Jamie Windust, you can find their full Audible session on the Audible website or on the app. But you can also find Jamie's book, In Their Shoes, which is exclusive to Audible. And finally, it's time for our Listener's Corner, which means I get to hear from one of you about a book, podcast or drama you love. This week, we're mixing it up as our listener, Anthea Lister, has sent us a collection of audiobook recommendations. Hi, Imriel. You asked for audible recommendations. I have to say I like anything narrated by Richard Armitage. He has such a great voice, but my favourites at the moment are Romeo and Juliet by David Hewson and The Jane Austen Society by Natalie Jenner. I also like The Tattooist of Auschwitz by Heather Morris and His and Hers by Alice Feeney. I would really like to get the Poirot collection also narrated by Richard Armitage, but it seems it's only available in the US at the moment. 
Thank you so much, Anthea, for those recommendations. I think we've found Richard Armitage's biggest fan, or certainly one of them. You get two credits from Audible to use on more books from Richard or any other titles you like. And for your chance to win some credits, why not send us a review too? Just send us a short message telling us about something you've loved and you might get featured right here. Record a voice note on your phone or send us your thoughts and I'll read them out. Email it over to yhihf at audible.co.uk. But please remember, keep your reviews spoiler free. And sadly, that's all for this week's You Heard It Here First. In case you missed any of the titles we recommended today, here they are again. The Thursday Murder Club by Richard Osman. Audible original podcasts coupled them with Idris and Sabrina Elba. Little Scratch by Rebecca Watson. Hamnet by Maggie O'Farrell. Smoke Hole by Martin Shaw. The New Nomads by Felix Marquardt. Jamie Windust's Audible Session. And Anything Narrated by Richard Armitage. Don't forget, you can catch up with us in between shows on social media. Take a picture of your favorite or current listen and tag at YHIHFpod on Instagram and Twitter. And while you're there, give us a follow too. You've been listening to You Heard It Here First, an Audible original produced by Content is Queen. Presented by me, Amriel Morgan, and featuring Bryony Cullen and Felix Marquardt. Additional voices by Lazara Morgan and Richard Hodson. It was produced by Ellie Clifford and Amber Miller. Original music was by Seth Bradford. For Audible, the executive producer was Holly Neeson. The production executive was Hayley Nathan. And the commissioning editor was Kent DePinto. Pinto.